Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP. With us today, we're back in the NBC Sports Charlotte studios with Kyle Petty, who uh, we are talking to on a Wednesday uh, in mid-April, well ahead of when he'll be hitting the open <laughs> road for the uh, Kyle Petty charity ride. This is what, the 23rd? 23rd year. 23rd year, okay. And uh, we're certainly looking forward to, to that. And last year, we talked to Kyle after the ride was completed. So this year I feel like this is not better necessarily, but it's like the, the, the flip side of this perspective last year, after I talked to Kyle, uh, we, we, we discussed like not just the, the, the ride itself, but your ride out to the ride. Yeah. And, uh, I would think that you were doing the same thing this year. Yes. Okay. Most so, definitely. So just to set this up for people and I'll let you go. Um, Last year, it, was, it started in Palm Springs, and you rode out to Palm Springs from the Charlotte, North Carolina area in three segments of 1,100, 800, and 400 miles. Yes. And are you planning to do that now <laughs> again before this year's ride? I have ride? not got my segments figured out this year. Okay. I, I, I'm going to have to say that because here's, what, here's what's going to have a bearing on that this year. Um, I can go from here to Portland, and it's 2,800 miles. Okay. Uh, yeah, I should have said that. Portland yeah. is where it starts. Yeah, this Portland's year. So where it starts. That's another 1,000 miles? Yeah, it's, it's almost okay. – yeah, it's it's longer. <laughs> okay, that that's the trick because you're going, like, at an angle. Okay. Uh, the problem is once you get to St. Louis, if there's weather in Montana or Wyoming or Colorado or Oregon mm-hmm. – then you really have to swing down towards Vegas and then go up through Nevada and over. So it adds another four or 500 miles. So I don't know whether I'm going to have to go the southern route or the northern route. So okay. I, I've, I've really not got my... I've really not got my my Lewis and Clark trek figured out yet. Okay. Um, so well, I'm going to be disappointed if you plan it because I know last year you I didn't, didn't plan. I didn't plan. <laughs> it, the plan is going to be check your weather the morning of, <laughs> that's and figured. that's the way it goes. So I can make it to St. Louis, and I can still go south, and okay. I can still go north. So I'm going at least as far as St. Louis. Okay. So somewhere around the Missouri border, yes, you're going to look down at your weather app and decide, 
Am I going to go to the southern route? Or the yep, I'm going to do the old Pony Express thing somewhere around uh, around Missouri. <laughs> when you I'm see the figure arch, out which way to go. <laughs> Kyle Petty will be checking dark sky when he sees yes. the arch and determining which if way he's going. If you see some guy standing beside a motorcycle walking in circles trying to get service on his phone, that will be me. Okay. All right. So last year you went through uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. Yes. And you went through Waco, Texas. Yes. Um, and we, we talked about everything you saw, uh, including um, the Magnolia Market that's famous on HDTV and the Branch Davidian, and the Branch Davidian. compound, yes. which is a little more infamous, as yes. they say. Uh, I think you stopped by a Country Music Hall of Famers place. Yep. Yep. Uh, any places you want to see on the way out? I guess it depends on which route you go. But Yeah, I think it's going to depend on the route. And, and honestly, um, like last year, those were just things that just kind of popped up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, you're riding along. It's like, oh, what's Waco famous for? Oh, fixer upper. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's famous for that. And it's famous for the Branch Davidians. So let's go see that. So that's kind of the way I do it. I don't don't want to plan that. That's the special part. And we'll talk about this later. Something that popped up that we're going to use on the ride this year. Um, But that's the cool part about riding. And it depends on which road you take. You know, yeah. do you take the interstate? Do you take the back roads? I try to take back roads more than than interstate uh, because you see so much more. Uh, you see the farms, you see the people, you see the small towns, and that's better than just passing them ten miles off the interstate or, or whatever. Run along about seventy five or eighty. It's you just tool along, you know. So um, I don't know. I'm hoping. Look, I'm hoping there's some cool stuff out there. There. Yeah. Um, because honestly, and I'm, and I'm hoping that I get to go the Northern route because I've not gone that way in a pretty good while. I've not been up through, through there. I want to go through Bend, Oregon when I get out to Oregon. So I want to cut through the middle of the state a little bit different. So, um, I don't know. I have to keep you posted on that. And where else would the Northern route take you through? It goes up through, it can go through Salt Lake. I don't uh-huh. know if I'm going through Salt Lake. Okay. I just um, went to Salt Lake for the first time. In my did life. you really? It was yeah. great. It was beautiful. And did you ride Gorgeous. out to the Salt Flats? I did not ride the out salt to the Salt Flats. The Salt Flats are cool. I wish. Yeah. Yeah. The Salt Flats are cool. Uh, I will say that. Yeah. Uh, but there's some cool places up through there. And, and when you get into Wyoming, honestly, when you get into to lower Wyoming, to, to the Cheyenne area and some of that, um, it's a lot different. Mm-hmm. It's a lot different than being up around Yellowstone and being up around Jackson. Uh, we're coming back through Cody, so I'll be in the southern part of Wyoming from from that perspective. So uh, I don't know. And then I I hate to pass Glenwood Springs, Colorado, without getting in the hot springs. So that's like a bad habit that that I have. You got to go get in the hot springs, and when you're in Glenwood <laughs> Springs, so if I can weave down, even if it's a couple of hundred miles away, I'll probably go through there. And the hot springs are just. Like hot. what you see at Yellowstone, like that kind of thing. Um, uh, like, they're big pools, man. They're just have big pools. Okay. Yeah, they're I have, huge, I have man. Not obviously. And one's like a hundred and eight or a hundred and ten. One's like a hundred and four. Oh. Um, so and, and they're sulfur <laughs> springs. I mean, they're cool. It's it's really cool. And you just disrobe and wade in. Yeah. You, well, you, I got a swimsuit. Okay. I take my <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's basically it. And you get in, you soak, and it's like after you've been on a motorcycle for like three days, it's like. Phew, that's it's good. not a bad yeah, experience. It's, it's a I'm good sure. deal. So you mentioned this last year too on the pod, Kyle. When I was listening back to it, you you avoid interstate highways. Yes, and but you don't do a lot of planning because you're Kyle Petty. Yep. How do you know? Like, are you just that familiar, kind of like with two lane roads in this country, that you can kind of just know where to go to find them? The answer to that is yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, I have, and and I'm going to pat myself on the back here. <laughs> I have a crazy sense of direction. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know why. I think it's just, I don't know if it's because I've traveled my whole life, but I, I'm one of those guys that can get to an intersection and it's like, do I go left or right? And I know some th- something in my head says, go right. You know what I mean? And it, 
ends up being right. You know, I mean, it ends up being the right direction. So I will weave off the interstate at some point in time. You know, and obviously going to St. Louis, I will ride a lot of interstate to the on the East Coast. East of the Mississippi, I can't make a lot of time on back roads. Right, right, I mean? right, right. Um, too many and, people. Yeah, too many people, yeah, too many yeah. too many towns, too many, too much going on. So, but you get out there and you can just weave and you'll cross over the interstate and get to the north side. You can ride the Old Pony Express route, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, it starts in St. Joseph, Missouri. It's pretty cool if you get get that way uh, and swing along. So there's a there's, it's pretty interesting to get on the back roads and just weave along. Um, and they're like, I grew up on 220 Highway 220 here, which is a back road. Highway 49. Right. We came to Charlotte. We never in all the years that we left Level Cross and came to Charlotte, we never came 85. Really? We always came <laughs> two lane roads. You know what I mean? So that's just how we travel. Yeah. Uh, and will you? So when you leave North Carolina, you mentioned mostly your interstate to St. Louis, but but you take still two lane roads out of the state, I yeah. guess. Okay, a lot, yeah, a lot yeah. of times. Okay. I, I'm gonna go when I leave here this time. I'm probably gonna ride up, um, go up through towards where the Dragon is, 62, 64, okay. um, across yeah. there, uh, and go up through Silva and go up that way. And you can take two lane all the way to the to the western part of North Carolina, and it's really pretty. And it's pretty this time of year. Yeah. It's like being up around Bristol. Yeah. Where okay. we're going this weekend. It's like being up there. Do you take the Blue Ridge at all then? No. No. You can't okay. make any time. Oh, really? You can't make any time in a state park and you can't <laughs> speed. You can't speed on federal highways because that's a no no. Okay? okay. Just remember that. Right. It's okay to speed on the interstate, kind of. Okay. Uh, but you don't want to go too fast. But it's, it's, you know, you can't make any time on the parkways. Okay. I had my first introduction to the Blue Ridge Parkway on my honeymoon a few years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Um, it's pretty. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And we only, you know, Jerry and I were only on it for like 20 minutes. Yeah. But like, I'd never really understood like yeah. what it is until then. Oh, uh, I can pretty. see what you mean about it's, how, yeah, yeah beautiful vistas. Just me, but you you want to look. You're meandering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so again, uh, we covered this last year, but just, uh, to refresh everybody's memory, cause I found it hilarious. Um, there are no, uh, travel lodging plans being made. No, no. Last year, uh, for loyal podcast listeners, you'll remember that, um, KP told a story about the sleep comfortably in sleep comfortably in that's <laughs> where, it where he stayed for $30 and threatened a desk clerk, uh, if his motorcycle wasn't still there <laughs> exactly. in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of places you stay. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You're, you're just, look, 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 look. I don't need 700 channels yes. and, and, and all of that stuff. I just need a clean bed and, and a place to lay down for five or six hours. And that's what you'll sleep and then go again. So that's yeah. it. Yeah. As long as there's a eating place somewhere close by. I'm okay. Good. All right. I could not that's, do this, by the way. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. <laughs> it would scare the bejesus out of me. It's That's somewhere in between camping and glamping when you stay in that kind of place somewhere in between i don't know what it's called i'll have to come up with a name for it but it's, it's somewhere in between okay so he's driving out to portland where where this ride will begin uh and then it'll go through let's just briefly go over the the route here columbia river gorge mount rushmore badlands yes. um and yeah. then to end in milwaukee is where it'll yes. end here yeah. ba- back to our, our our original discussion about things that you see along the way kind of like waco yes. Um, here's what we're doing. We're going, um, leaving Portland and going to Walla Walla, Washington. And the only reason we're going there is just because I like saying Walla Walla, Washington. Okay. So we're going there and then we're going to Missoula, uh, up across the Lolo Pass to, to Missoula, then down through the park, uh, Yellowstone Mm -hmm. over to Cody. We leave Cody and we go to, um, go to, to Deadwood. Um, and then we're going down to Mount Rushmore the next morning and then through the Badlands and then we go to Mitchell. Now, Mitchell, South Dakota, 
Let me go and we'll go Mitchell, South Dakota, over to Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Minneapolis down to the Harley Davidson Museum. Now, but we have to go back to Mitchell. This was on my list, and I know Mitchell, why. <laughs> Mitchell, Minnesota, is home to the Corn Palace. And if you have never seen the Corn Palace, you have missed a national treasure. And no joke, I am I am telling you, these people do a phenomenal job. Um, they take corn, whether they take the husk, they take the stalks, they take the corn cobs, they take the corn on the cob. It's different color corn, um, and and they do a mosaic, different things on the side of the buildings. Uh, when we were there on the site inspection, it was rock and roll right. and, and music, and they Elvis was on one side of the building, and Willie Nelson was on the front of the building, and they had another guy on it. Uh, but they spend months doing these mosaics, and it is phenomenal. And some of the biggest names in music have played the Corn Palace. When you start going back through... And look at the names who have played the Corn Palace. It is, it's it's amazing. It sounds hokey because yeah. it's called the Corn Palace. Right. It sounds hokey because it's Mitchell, South Dakota. But the people there are so excited that the motorcycle ride's coming through. We're doing a car show and a bike show. Uh, we're having a big barbecue out in the parking lot where the where the hotels are. Uh, the whole town is, is basically going to come out for this thing. And it, it, we're pretty excited about going to Mitchell. But the Corn Palace is special. Um, the next place that we ran across um, that is one of those places, back to the your Waco thing, is <laughs> we, when we leave Mitchell, we're going into Minnesota, and we pass through a small community slash town called Darwin, Minnesota, where they have on display in a glassed-in gazebo the world's largest ball of twine assembled by one man. <laughs> okay, it's like 17,000 pounds or something. Guinness World Book approved. Yeah, it's huge. Sure. It's yeah. right there. Right. So, you know, we're going to buy and we're going to stop and all of us are going to have our photos taken <laughs> with the world's wa- largest ball of twine. Now, it's hard to believe that we're going to go to, we're going to go Columbia Gorge, we're going to go to Lolo Pass, Yellowstone, Mount Rushmore, and the Badlands, mm-hmm. and more riders are, are looking forward to the Corn Palace and the world's largest ball of twine. They should yeah, be. Yeah, which I think so, too. That's the kind of people that ride with I mean, me. I love the outdoors, man. Yes. But, like, I, I can respect, like, the quirky, yeah, the quirky. Uh, irreverent That's stuff right. like that. You've um, got to have that kind of stuff. So those are the kind of things. And if on my way out, if I find some other stuff, like the world's largest frying pan, which is in uh, Iowa, I think, uh, if I happen to pass some of those places, then we'll have to get them on a list for later. Future rides, future yeah, ride. without a doubt. Um, so, is is Wall Drug? Part Wall of Drug this? is on our ride. Yes, it's it on, is. The, on there too. Okay, yes, that's Wall Drug. Good, I South Dakota that. institution. I'm, All yes. right, so I don't know if you know this, but um, I was I, I lived in Minneapolis for a year with my family when I was a kid, and so I've done like the Badlands, yeah. Mount Rushmore, South Dakota, uh, a little bit of North Dakota family vacation. This was like seriously 30, yeah. 35 years ago. But um, my one year there, like it's, you mentioned the people, it really stuck with me, like kind of the way people are in that part of the Midwest. I mean, it's like, it's not like, I wouldn't say it's like Americana, like you would think of in other parts of the country, but like they have their own way. And as you're saying this, Kyle, it's it's reminding me that, um, have you seen the movie Fargo? Fargo, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. So I watched it like a week ago. It just, it came on some cable channel when I was flipping through between basketball games. And I think my wife thought I was crazy because I was just, I was laughing all the way through it because I'd never realized before when I, until I saw this movie again, how much like the people are like a central character, like the way just that they are. (laughs) Yes. It's just, it's 
the language, yes. the way they react, yeah. the way they look at life. Yeah. It's it's a it's another character in that. That's a great way to put it. it I mean, they're the a, type of people who yes. would who would build the world's, world's largest, largest ball of twine. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> the type of people that would have the corn palace. Yeah. Yeah. And and have that thing. But it, and they are the nicest people in the world. And I've, I say this all the time. Um, and I joke about a lot of things, but I say this all the time. The coolest part of any ride we do, bar none, and uh, in, in the 23 years of doing it, is is the places are cool mm-hmm. that you go. But the people that you meet make the places more special. I mean, you meet fans and you meet people that are just nice people. Right. Just nice, genuinely nice and just want to come out and say hello and want to talk racing or want to talk camp or want to talk whatever it may be. And that is, that that's so many memories of we had a guy and and we had a guy in in Arkansas, okay? And we're at a gas station, and we do um, – I don't know if I've ever even told you this. We had, so we, we're in Arkansas a number of years back. And this guy just shows up at a gas station and had, knew nothing about the ride, knew nothing. He was a local guy. And so he comes up, and I, he starts talking, you know, and we start talking about racing. He figured out what we were doing. We talk racing, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm kind of – I'm a little bit famous. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, I am. I was a national hog calling champion um, <laughs> like uh, six years in a row or something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, I said, no way, man. And he said, yeah. And we talked. And he told me how he learned to do the hog calls and how he got into the competition and all this stuff. So we do a deal where when we get ready to leave a gas station, um, we the police will blip. They're sirens, mm-hmm. and that means you got five minutes. Five mm-hmm. minutes to get on your bike. Once the sirens go off, you got five minutes. Finish up whatever you're doing. Get on your bike. We're ready to leave. So we talked him into standing in the back of a pickup truck with a <laughs> megaphone and, and doing the hog call right. for our siren. Right. And it was the biggest hit. I, I mean, and this was just the nicest guy. We stayed in touch for two or three years after that. But, I mean, he would – he put his hands over his mouth and he grunted and snorted and suey and all this stuff and just screamed and all that. And it was absolutely amazing. That's the kind of stories that make the places you stop special. Those are the types of things I would love to see. Yeah. NASCAR cool. America features done yes. on or something. Have you guys ever done like documentary style? Like how anybody like sort of. Nope. We're doing it, it this year. You are. Okay. We are doing right, it this good. year. This is we, the first year we did it. I, I got to tell you this. If we go back to the very first year, we talked the guys at ESPN into following us. Um, and so we did something different in every city. Um, we got to Huntington Beach. We went surfing. It was Jeff Bodine, Michael Walter, Todd Bodine, myself. God, I can't even remember who was on that first ride. Michael Walter. Um, and so we went surfing in Huntington Beach. Phoenix, we played. Remember. Um, I think it was Phil Necro coached a woman's baseball team, the Coors, yeah, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we took batting practice with them in um, in Phoenix at the stockyards. We roped cattle. Uh, I mean, we did some crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And they just did little pieces on it. Uh, I will say this: we went Huntington Beach. It's five thirty in the morning. We're out on the beach. Never been surfing in my life. Um, never seen a wetsuit. Um, <laughs> So we stripped buck naked on Huntington Beach behind the lifeguard stand to put our wetsuits on. And Michael and I, in our infinite wisdom, 
put them on backwards <laughs> so the zipper's in the front. And you know how you got like a little pouch for your butt in the back? Well, we had the pouch in the front, so we looked like Smurfs with a big pouch <laughs> in the front. I mean, the visual is, is fantastic with us walking around. So, we need photos of this. Yeah, we, we tried to. We, we did get up. We finally got up and, and got where we could surf. But that's, that's about the closest that we've come. We've had people come with us and do yeah, pieces yeah. on it. Uh, but this year... <clears throat> Uh, we're doing uh, a piece for NBC, and we're going to do the whole thing. Cool. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that, certainly. Okay, I'm going to pause the podcast right here to tell you about a product from the presenting sponsor of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. That presenting sponsor is STP, which, of course, is a sponsor that Kyle Petty and his racing family are very familiar with. STP is involved, has been involved in NASCAR for a very long time. Uh, For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines perform at their best. And they have a new product called the Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer. It delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline. It helps keep fuel fresh during storage, especially in engines that are stored over an extended period of time. If you're someone like myself who has a much older car, I have a car that's 22 years old, I look to try to do as much maintenance as possible. Uh, That includes uh, having an engine that does tend to get not much use over uh, certain periods of time. So I do use products such as the Ultra F uh, 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer to help treat the gasoline, to help uh, ensure that that things are running smoothly. So uh, I encourage you to check out this product, which again, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. I also want to tell you it's compatible with all two- and four-stroke engines, including lawnmowers, boats, and motorcycles. So I certainly encourage you to check this out. STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer. And now we'll return to the podcast with someone whose family, again, is synonymous with STP. Let's go back to Kyle Petty. When I went back and listened uh, to last year's pod, I also remembered you saying that uh, for the 25th year, you would not mind doing a oh, yeah. Fairbanks, Alaska run. So knowing that this one starts in Portland, Pacific Northwest, this isn't like a test run perhaps for how you might do well, it for the, the big 25th extravaganza in 2019. I think for a few of us, it may be a test run. Really? Okay. Uh, because <laughs> we're gaining some momentum for – there's about 15 or 20 of us that are gaining momentum. And, and we may – on that 25th year, it may be one of those deals where – 15 or 20 of us leave Fairbanks and come down and then meet them somewhere. And then the official the ride official starts. One week from there. So we'll, we'll call it call it that. So uh, And go to Miami because that's – the 25th year has got to be something special, whether it's whether it's Seattle to Miami or a, a long way across. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've got to do something that we've never done for the 25th. So, uh, yeah, this could be a little bit – yeah. I don't see anything wrong with Fairbanks. I, don't, I, was, I would I don't, love to yeah, hear, I see hear the nothing, stories of it. Yeah. I see nothing wrong with taking two or three weeks into it. You know what I mean? I mean, you know me. I'll go. I don't care. Just take the year, man. Yeah, yeah. that's what I kind of said. <laughs> yeah. that's, I've, I've thought about doing this, I swear. I've thought about I've, I've got two ideas. Um, one, one, and I've seriously thought about this, is a number of times, is starting the year and just riding my bike everywhere. Hmm. And every race – Every race you go to, all of this stuff, 
and stop and talk to fans and do stuff and just do a book a year on the bike. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? A year and just all the races and the people you meet because you meet fans everywhere. I mean, it, it's crazy. It is crazy to me how big the NASCAR truly is sometimes because I still think of it being as much as the whole world, you want to think everybody watches. Mm-hmm. You go places and nobody knows who you are. Yeah. And then you go a place where you think nobody's going to know who we are. And they know exactly who you are. Right. So it's the the juxtaposition of those two. Yeah. It's like a warp. You're in you're in some strange place. Um, my other thing that I'm going to do someday, um, my my coffee table book is going to be called Drive by Tourist. Um, it's tourist attractions you can go to and never have to get out of your car. You just roll up to them, take a snapshot, and roll on. You know what I mean? And it's just going to be the drive-by tourist, like the world's largest ball of twine. You don't have to get out. You can just take a snapshot. The right. world's tallest or the world's largest prairie dog. You don't have to get out. He's six and a half foot of concrete standing right beside the road. Yes, But he's the world's largest prairie dog. Uh, he's billed as that anyhow. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff. So I, I've got a couple ideas that have come to me that I'm going to – I'm going to make my fortune off of it. I like it. I would title that book, uh, also known as A Guide to America's Tourist Traps. Just <laughs> yes, to, not true, to say all those, not to say the ball of twine is a yeah, tourist no, trap. No, no, no. Um, but maybe I could think of a few others. Um, so, anything you want to see in Portland? Anything, that seems like your kind of town. You know what? I enjoyed Portland when we were out there for the, um, um, for the site inspection. Mm-hmm. Um, we went a lot of places and just walked around and got a, got a feel for the place. Um, a little bit, you know. There, there's, um, you've got the the Chinatown section. There's a couple of different sections. They've got a, a Krispy Kreme's my donut factory, but there is a donut place there. That's oh, Voodoo fantastic. Donuts, right? Oh, incredible! Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I'm a Krispy Kreme guy, but Voodoo Donuts were <laughs> out of this world, man. They were right. they were good. I stood in line for like ten minutes to go through Voodoo Donuts, uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, there's a lot of stuff. Um, we went to a, a part of town. I, I cannot think of the name of it. Um, I'm lost right now, uh, but it was a pretty cool section. So there, there's a yeah. lot of stuff. I yeah. mean, I, I enjoyed Portland a lot. Yeah. Um, so of course, Pacific Northwest it, it tends to rain a lot. Um, you told a story last year about driving through a rainstorm, and <laughs> of all places, of course, Phoenix. Phoenix. And that like me triggered something in my head that I've always wondered. Like, so when when I as someone who doesn't ride motorcycles. When I'm driving yeah. around and, and it starts to rain and I'm on an interstate and I go through like, you know, yeah. over, underpass or overpass or whatever, and I see a guy pulled off. Pulled off. I mean, so what happens? Can you guys ride during some amounts of rain or do you yes. have to stop? Or, yeah, you yeah. can. Okay. We, we can ride. Because um, I, I would yeah. think that could happen with Portland yes. uh, starting but, but, but here, here, yeah. But here's what you get into. And, and here's the thing I, I look at riding kind of like the race stuff. If you're going to play outside, you're going to get wet. Yeah. Sorry. That's just the way it is. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I mean, that's just that's part of life. The trick is to have the right equipment. You wouldn't go scuba diving without a tank. You know what I mean? You just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. That's, that's called snorkeling. That's something totally different. You know, it's yeah. not scuba diving. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't go snow skiing when it's, you know, 10 or 15 degrees in your bathing suit and your swimsuit. You've got the, the ski apparel and you've got the goggles and you've got the right stuff. The trick is to have the right stuff is to have the rain suits, to have the, the gloves, to have all this stuff. And the trick is to have good good glasses and a good helmet uh, that don't fog up, that you can, can see. If it rains too hard, we don't ride because that's dangerous. I gotcha. mean, when yeah. you start seeing cars pulled over, that you need to be off the road uh, because that's dangerous for you and dangerous for the other riders and dangerous for cars that are out there. 
But you know what? We've been pretty fortunate through the years to only have to pull over a couple of times. There were some tornado warnings we had to pull over in one time because <laughs> uh, we couldn't. You can't beat that. Um, and we had to pull over a couple of times for that. But we've not. We've been through snow and not pulled over. Yeah. Um, and it was snowing hard enough that it was gathering on the windshield where you couldn't see out. So it was a pretty hard snow. Yeah. But um, yeah, you, I don't. It, you're going to get showered on. Yeah. And you just hope you don't get a whole day of rain. Yeah. That, that is the one thing. You know, but most of the time, if you're going to go 350 miles, you're either going to be out of it and then in it or in it when you start and run out of it because okay. you're going you're gonna to get ahead of it. Okay. As long as it's not monsoon conditions. Yeah, as long as it's not monsoon. It's, it's, you're, you're safe. I'm okay. good. Uh, so it's, again, as we mentioned, starts in the Pacific Northwest, which means it's a bit of a home game for Herschel McGriff. Yes. Who is returning this year at the age of 89. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Glad and, to have and him I back. Find it, I, I find <laughs> it. What I wanted to do, see, this year I wanted to do, really, when we started talking about Portland, I wanted to go Portland to Darlington. Okay? <laughs> Just like Herschel in Just like Herschel in yep. 1950 when he ran the very first. And I wanted to go the route that he went. To run the first I, Southern yeah, 500. when he ran yep. the first Southern 500. When he drove that car from Portland, Oregon, to the Southern 500, ran it in a race, and then turned around and drove it back to Portland, right. Oregon. I'm like, that could be one of the greatest stories ever. I, I don't care. I don't care what he did at, at Darlington. He came all the way from Portland to run at Darlington, which speaks volumes. Uh, but here he is. He's going to ride a motorcycle with us. Uh, he rode with us last year, um, and he's riding with us this year from, from Portland over to, to Milwaukee. So uh, he's bringing um, Chuck Bound. He's bringing his wife, uh, who's his daughter, mm-hmm. who's Herschel's daughter, uh, she's riding with him this year, so he's bringing some and another friend with him this year. So he had so much fun last year, he's come back. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I should mention that Herschel McGriff also will be on the uh, NASCAR Hall of Fame ballot. Yes. Uh, which the uh, voting will take place shortly after uh, our, the, the ride concludes here uh, in the middle of, uh, or I guess May 24th, I think, is when the voting is. So um, something else to keep an eye on with Herschel. Um, and you'll also have the other Herschel. Herschel Walker will be there. Uh, Herschel Walker and George Rogers. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, two Heisman Trophy winners. South Carolina running Woo! back. How about that? George Rogers. Yeah, okay. this is good. Yeah. Um, it, so that that's pretty – Herschel called one day, and he said – Herschel Walker called, and he said <laughs> – That's uh, got to get confusing. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> and so Herschel Walker calls, and he says, hey, can I I'm, – I'm, and he always brings his brother, uh, Lorenzo, two or three guys. He always mm-hmm. brings two or three guys with him. Um, and he said, hey, I'm thinking about bringing uh, – uh, another guy with me this year, is it okay? And we're like, hey, you bring whoever you want to, man, whatever. So he called up and he said, y'all are going to love George Rogers, man. And, and I'm like, you're bringing George Rogers? You're kidding me, man. And he's like, no, no, he's got bikes. He's going to ride. And if he doesn't ride, he can ride on the back with me. We'll, we'll be good. So we're pretty exciting. And, and Herschel, I'm going to tell you something. It, it, it amazes me with Herschel that we pulled into Durango, Colorado, what, three or four years ago. And the whole parking lot, and when I say the whole parking lot, I'm talking 40 or 50 people that showed up uh, in, in town, all had on Georgia T-shirts and Georgia flags. I remember you saying this last yeah. year. You and wouldn't believe how many Georgia fans Georgia there are around fans. the country. There are yeah. Georgia fans everywhere. <laughs> Georgia must have the highest graduation rate or the highest fan base in the world. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, but that's pretty crazy. And that, I mean, just like we're talking about racing, some places you go, yeah. they don't know who you are. 
Uh, you go with Herschel Walker. Well, I guess a Georgia fan somewhere. I mean, in his case, I don't know a lot about Georgia University of Georgia athletics, but I would think he might be the most he iconic. He is the guy. I mean, if they're going to come out for somebody, yeah, if they're going to come town, out for Herschel. Come out for him. Um, so obviously, again, as we mentioned, 23rd edition of the Cal Petty Charity Ride, all to benefit the Victory Junction Gang Camp. Uh, there have been, do I have this right, Cal? 7,985 campers since 2004? Does that, that sound right? That we have paid for to go through. There's been 27,000 kids that have gone to camp. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, there's been 27,000 kids that have gone. Hard okay. to believe, isn't it? I thought that seemed low. Yeah, 27, okay. there's been 27,000 kids and their families that have come to camp since we opened the, opened the doors on it okay. as of today. Um, and the camp and the ride has been responsible for close to eight thousand. For nearly eight thousand. Okay, yeah. so that's that's obviously what what yeah the, the donations and the, the money raised by this ride, which is um, in the millions. Yes, I, I don't have the exact. We number. we have raised we have raised uh, about seventeen and a half million dollars over the previous twenty two years. Great. So that's which terrific. is pretty crazy. Something that occurred to me uh, as I was preparing for this, um, you know, realizing that obviously the, the the objective of Victory Junction Gang Camp. And the reason that the campers, those kids are there is because they're trying to overcome, you know, physical limitations yeah. from chronic and life-threatening illnesses uh, in their everyday life. So, you know, maybe obviously a long-haul motorcycle ride isn't feasible yeah. for their involvement. But ha- have any of them ever been oh, they, involved some way in the ride? Or Here's what happens. Everywhere we go, they come out to see us. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Everywhere. We'll have, like, um, Robbie last year, uh, and he's coming up this year. Um, he's a little boy lives in, in Northern California. Um, he came, comes up and he gave us a big speech last year and a big rah-rah speech before we all left the party, really? which is really cool. And it's cool for the riders because the riders realize that's, that's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're going to go have fun. We're going to ride motorcycles. But in the end, hopefully, kids like Robbie will, will get to go to camp. So every night we, we, we go through camp and we say, okay, how many kids have we seen from Oregon? How many kids have we seen from, Minnesota, or from uh, Montana? How close are they to Missoula? Can we get them a hotel room and bring them over and, and, and have them be there to have dinner with some of the riders and with some of us? So whether it's a fuel stop that they're close to, um, we'll probably see – I think last year we saw maybe 10 or 12 campers right. along the route last year, and it was an obscure route last year, yeah. you know, down through yeah. southern Texas and yeah. stuff. But by the time you get to San Antonio and Louisiana and stuff, you begin – uh, and this year by the time we get out through – into South Dakota and on into Minnesota and Wisconsin, there's a lot of kids we've seen in those areas. So are these, like, camper alumni that go all the way back to, like, the open? So, some area? of the kids. Yeah. Some of the kids have graduated and don't come back to camp. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the kids are still in camp. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and, and, like, Robbie is going to see us the first week, uh, and I use him as an example because I've talked to him recently, but Robbie's, we see him at the beginning, and then he's at camp two weeks after the ride ends. So he's coming straight to camp, basically almost from from when we leave. So a lot of the kids that we see along the way um, have are, are coming during the summer, or will come during the fall. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, so certainly, uh, that will be something to watch here. Uh, this podcast will come out shortly before the ride begins, and encourage everybody to go to uh, is it CalPettyCharityRide dot com or yes, something? Yes, CalPettyCharityRide dot com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's just KP Charity Ride. Excellent. All right, and before we let you go, I got two more things I want to ask you about. Uh, finally, listen to the Road to Now podcast 
on which you were a guest yes. on. And uh, for those who don't know, Road to Now, I guess, is it like North Carolina history, I think is the theme? I, I, um, I don't know if it's North Carolina or Southern or what mind. it is. I, I, I don't know either. We just talked racing, so that yeah. was close enough. And they me. were enthused to have you. Uh, for those who aren't aware, it's it's this podcast where they talk history. I think it's North Carolina history. And one of the two hosts of it is Bob Crawford, who is the uh, bassist for the Avid Brothers, uh, a favorite band of mine and of many. Uh, and, uh, man, they were, first of all, they were very enthused to yeah, have you. Yeah, they were which, nice which guys. cool. Yes. And, and they had done their homework a little bit and had some good good questions for you. And you said two things I wanted to ask you about, Kyle. One was, um, and I've heard this for many years, uh, that you and the King recently did this thing at the NASCAR Hall of Fame um, where they just opened a Petty Family exhibit yeah. and um, it, it, talking about how there's this farming mentality yes. that you guys have always had. The family's always taken to racing. That this is this is the livelihood. And you mentioned something I hadn't even considered during the road to now, where you said that like guys like the Fo- the uh, Flock Brothers had like day jobs. Yes, when they were racing in the 1950s, while your dad and your family made this a full time thing. So I'd never even thought about that before. Um, do you, do you think were you you know was your grandfather and your family were you like trendsetters in that way? Do you think it was just like a natural progression? that guys who were driving would eventually reach a point where you're not going to have a day job yeah. anymore and, and be racing in NASCAR? Yes. I, I, that's a good question. That, that's a really good question. Um, because when you, you know, how, so many times when you go back and you listen to my dad tell stories or Ned Jarrett tell stories or Junior Johnson and, and that older group mm-hmm. that was there in the 50s, um, there seemed to be owners and there were drivers right but they weren't the same the owner driver or the team concept of doing it all really was not it didn't seem to apply yeah um you know from you worked in a sawmill and then you you went out to the racetrack with your helmet and somebody said hey you did pretty good last week you want to drive my car this week yeah that was with ralph earnhardt with all those guys um and, and then eventually they got to a point where they had their own stuff. For whatever reason, when my granddad started, um, and we used to joke about it that just nobody liked him, so they wouldn't let him drive a car, <laughs> so he had to drive, drive his own car. And we used to tell him that all the time and kid with him about it. But but he looked at it as he had been in a mechanic. He had been in the trucking business where, where um, I tell him, he was in the beverage transportation business, but he had been in the <laughs> trucking business, uh, and he worked on stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this this sport came along, and he looked at it and he said, "You know what? I can make hundred dollars a week. I can make fifty dollars a week. That's as much as I'm making in the trucking sure. stuff. So yeah. why don't I focus on building a car and working on my cars, and my cars won't break, and I'll drive them, and we'll run in the top two or three, or we'll win some races, and we'll make some money, and." He did that, and all of a sudden, he was making a good living. Was he getting rich? Not by any stretch of the imagination. But compared to the trucking business, he was making the same amount of money. Yeah. And he looked at it and said, man, I can make a career out of this. I can, I can do this. And I think when you look at, at Ned and you, you look at Junior and you look at those guys, um, and I was talking to Junior Johnson recently about when he won the Daytona 500, and he said they just called him up and said, "Hey, you want to come drive one of Raymond's cars, Ray Fox's cars?" You know, wow. and it was like boom, out of the blue. Yeah, Ray had a car, but Ray wasn't driving it. You know, somebody else drove it, and that seems to be the way it was. So, I don't know if it was a trendsetter from that standpoint, 
I think my granddad looked at it was that's just how we're going to do it. Right. You know right. what I mean? He wasn't trying to be some pioneer. No, he was just no. trying to put that's just how we're going to do family. it because we get to keep the majority of the money. Mm-hmm. If I want a hundred dollars, that hundred dollars comes here. Mm-hmm. If you want a hundred dollars driving for someone else, you got thirty five. They took sixty five or whatever your split was. Yeah. He took the whole the whole piece. Now he had that responsibility, but um, eventually the sport morphed into that. Uh, but it took a long time for it to really morph into that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing plays off your grandfather's uh, attitude, reputation, whatever you call it. You said something that you said it fairly nonchalantly, and then it just struck me, um, which was essentially this: that your grandfather cared more about the money yeah. than the trophies. Yes, and it, obviously, it's not that he didn't like winning. I mean, yeah. the guy's a hall of famer; he, he loved winning, I'm sure. But it was just that, as we just discussed, like racing was a means to an end for providing for the family. And you told the story on Road to Now podcast, which I didn't even realize this was another layer to it. Everyone knows the story about him contesting one of the King's wins yeah. and claiming it for his own. I didn't know the, the idea that about, you know, I had no idea the backstory, the wrinkle about how uh, it was because Lee Petty knew because yes. of the car he was driving, if he were to get a win in this race, he was going to get an extra 200 bucks. Yes, or something. Extra, I think it was extra 200, 250. The, the thing was my dad won the race. Um, Thought he won the race. Yeah. And my grandfather protested. Yeah. And said, no, he won the race. And my grandmother got a little upset. But when they <laughs> checked the scorecards, my grandfather was right. Yeah, yeah. And my grandmother was upset because my grandfather had protested my dad in his very first, would have been his very first win, and had protested and said, yeah. you know, what are you doing? And my granddad understood the business enough and yep. understood the money-making part of it. Yeah. Where he realized if you won the race, that race, if you won it in a current year model car, then it was a $200, $250 bonus. He had a 58 Oldsmobile. My dad drove a 57 Oldsmobile. Right. Which meant the company, the family, Petty Enterprises the is going to do better this way. Yeah. yeah they lost money. Yeah. So he did. And I've, I've told the same story before, too. He won Daytona, won the original Daytona. And they. Flagged it. Johnny Bochamp goes to victory lane. My grandfather pulls in. You've seen probably seen pictures of my grandfather just outside the yep. crowd with his car. Yep. Um, they give Johnny Bochamp the the trophy. They give him the money. Um, my grandfather gets a hotel room over at the Royal Beach there in Daytona and says he's not leaving until he's the winner. He protests. Um, they have the famous picture that everybody's seen now. Uh, of my grandfather winning the race, yep, and not not Johnny, and Bill France Senior. Supposedly, Bill France Senior calls my grandfather and said, um, "I guess you were rightly, uh, you win you won the race, you know." And Johnny's already gone back to Iowa, and he's got the trophy, so I'm not going to be able to get the trophy to you for until we can get it back from Johnny. You know, it wasn't UPS and FedEx, and until right. I get it back from from Johnny. And supposedly, my granddad said. I don't care about the trophy. I'll be by to pick up my check in about 15 minutes. <laughs> and he breezed by the speedway, picked up his check, and headed back to North Carolina. Three days after the yeah, day of five three days He after was just waiting around so he could pick up that check. Pick up the check. Keep your it trophy. Was, yeah, he didn't care about the trophy. And that part of that story, and yeah. for me, that is the story that is Lee Petty. Yeah. Because here is what has become the Super Bowl of our sport, the inaugural one, the big one, and the guy that wins it could give a rat's rear end less about the accolades or the trophy or anything, that amount of money set those guys up for four or five years hmm. because it was enough money 
at that time, I think it paid $28,000, which $28,000 in 1959 yeah, it was huge money. is huge money, yeah. huge money. So it, for him, that's what that was all about. It was about the money. And, and I've always laughed and told, tell the story. Richard Petty is 180 degrees from that. Yeah, that's my next question. He could care less yep. whether there was a check involved. Right. He could care less whether there was a dime. As long as there was a trophy at the end of – when he pulled into victory lane, if there was a trophy, that's all he cared about. So it's it's really – it was always funny to watch how those guys yeah. talked racing and how they reacted because one was about money and one was about trophies. So for the king, was it was it more about trophies because the money – was less of a concern because of what Lee had done and, and because his fame, the, the family's fame and the King's fame grew and he was able to worry less about the money. Yeah. I think, I, I think for my dad, I honestly believe this. I think for my dad, if they had struggled, it would have been about the money Yeah, because you would have had to struggle to get the money to go to the next race, to go to the next race, to go to the next right. race. But they were so successful. Um, from the time he and uncle Morris and Dale, from the time my granddad wrecked in 1961, and the company fell on their shoulders. Those three guys were so successful as a unit for the next 18 or 20 years hmm. that money never seemed to be an issue for them. Right. You know what I mean? And, right. and it's not that they got rich, right. but they had enough money to race. And, and I just told a story earlier where the funny part was is they looked at it, and, and I've, I compare it to a family farm. They looked at it. You have a farmer, and he, and he farms, and he has a good year he'll buy a piece of equipment or he'll buy five more acres of land and or he'll buy more livestock. He puts his money back in the farm. He doesn't buy a new car. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't add on to his house. He doesn't buy a new TV. He buys a piece of equipment or something that will make the farm better so the farm can make more money. And my gra- my, my dad and Uncle Morris were that same way. Yeah, We'd build another building. We'd buy a truck to haul. You'd buy a dyno. You'd buy something. So we never hurt for anything. Mm-hmm. We we lived a good life, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But the race team always got everything. So if you got if you got brought a dollar in, what didn't go to taxes, 90% of it went back to the race hmm. team. And it was that constant reinvestment that yeah. laid the foundation for obviously your dad had had talent, but yes. that was probably the foundation that, was, that allowed him yeah. to win 200 and, races. And that's how they never got behind. They yeah. were always reinvesting in the company yeah. to move the company forward. Yeah. It's just it's jarring to me, man, to hear that and like Hopefully, people hear that you, your your very eloquent explanation and understand like how it makes sense. But it's jarring when I think about how many times I've lost track of hearing the cliche nowadays. Ah, this driver would do this for free. He he is yeah. all about winning. And like maybe their perspective would be a lot different if they had no other means yeah. of making a living. And yeah. it it had to be about the money at, at some yeah. point. You know, it's yeah. It's, it's it, so... it had, and I, I I think you know. And and again, I think. For and, and I look back on that period of time and, and, and think about it a lot of times. Um, and I've listened to Bobby and Donnie tell stories about when they first moved to Alabama, it was about making extra money. Yeah. It, was, it was about the money. But they fought to win to make the extra money. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, but I think back to, to guys that I grew up with as my dad was winning races and Pearson was winning races and Kale and those guys. And I think about the Jabe Thomases and the John Sears and the Elmo Langleys and the Cecil Gordons, uh, the guys that really, the James Hiltons, the guys that were there week in and week out. Yeah. Um, try, and, and we can throw Wendell Scott into that group. He was part of that group. Um, that they, they run, they did the best they could, 
whatever they made, they move to the next race and yeah. they run again. And they made and move to the next race and they run again. But they were caught in that cycle because they never could break out, win enough money to buy the new stuff, yep. to buy a new car, to buy the, the better equipment. Where my father and them were fortunate enough, and the Wood Brothers and Bud Moore and Junior Johnson's teams were fortunate enough to win the money, and they separated themselves in, in, in that way. But the Richard Petty could just as easily have been Elmo Lane yeah. or John Sears. And, and I think that goes back to the spirit of the sport where you used to see guys in the garage area, the lesser teams, if they needed to borrow a gear or borrow something, they just go to the big guys, and the big guys would let them have it. Yeah. No yeah. questions asked. Because they knew just, they could be in their yeah, spot. Just probably. bring it back. Yeah. Just bring it back when you're done yeah. with it. You know what I mean? And and that's a part of the sport that's kind of gone to the wayside. Yeah. Um, where drivers would relief for each other and get in and out of cars and help each other work on cars and stuff. And Benny Parsons, when he won the championship, so many teams that's teams were still out there on pit road, went to the garage area to help them put that car back together. Yeah. So Benny could go back out there and run. He had his guys welding roll bars. The other guys were setting front ends and doing other stuff. Right. So it was it was funny. It was a crazy sport. Yeah. Because you wanted to beat I wanted to beat you as bad as anything in the world. But I wanted to beat you fair and square. So I gotta give you some equipment to get you up to where I'm at. If I've got to <laughs> give you a gear or give you, right. you know, something or help you with a pit crew member or something. That's what you do, just to beat you. That's fascinating. I mean, yeah, when you think about about it now, like viewed through, through like the competitive prism of, I don't know. Everybody talks about like the competition level these days and how it's so much greater yeah. and everything. And I, you know, I understand like that it is that there is more money involved, more sponsorship, yeah. more money, more well organized or, organizations, everything like that. But it's just it's fascinating to think about it through that perspective of like the King and Bud Moore and and yeah. the Wood Brothers, like understanding. That like it's not just like what Bill France Jr. said about like you need other cars out there for guys to pass. You just need other guys out there, period, yeah. to make the whole thing go. And they yeah. understood like, you know, if not for some breaks going our way, we could be in that position exactly. where, we, where it was just it was never going to be about winning. It was just always going to be about just making a living. Yeah, um, and, and they were called independence. Yeah, and, and that's what they did, and 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 they did, it. and it was about making it. And they made a they made a solid living. Right, right. If you go back and talk to James or or, or talk to Jimmy Means and stuff the times that they ran the years they ran cup and the years they ran as an independent. Yeah. It, they, it was a struggle sometimes, but they made a decent living. Yeah. Um, and they were doing something they wanted to do. They were, they were doing something they love. And, and it's funny. You talk about the competition level and, and I hear it a lot of times, uh, you know, where the competition level is so much more. I'm not sure the competition level is, is any more or any less um, than what it was. I think there's more more people in the pool that can win races. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I do say that. Right. There are more cars in the pool that can win races. At the same time, it's the same as always. There's only two or three cars that can win a given race. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. not. Even though we go in and we like to, to sing the NASCAR tune, there's 25 guys or 30 <laughs> guys here today that can come from any position to win this thing. Right. You know what? That's probably true when they drop the green flag. But 20 laps in, there's only three or four yeah. that you're really looking at. And that's the way it's always been. Yeah. That is the way it's always On any given Sunday, that's the way it's always been. Three or four rise to the top out of the pack that day, and those are the guys you're chasing. Now, circumstances may dictate that the 25th place guy wins the race right. because of the way cautions fall and stuff nowadays. But it never did before. Yeah. It, it never did before. So I, I'm not sure – 
I, I laugh sometimes at the competition comment because I'm not <laughs> sure. I think there are more more fish in the pond, but when they drop the green flag, there's still only two or yeah. three. We say these things and they sound good, or yeah. I say these things. We all My say, them. We, say all them. we all say them, but it's good to know that there are some things that have remained yeah. static from seven True. years ago. Thanks for doing this, man. As Thank always, you. appreciate it. We appreciate Kyle Petty joining us. I've said it before. I'll say it again. NASCAR hasn't had many Renaissance men like Kyle Petty. I just learned today, actually, that KP will be performing as a soloist for the second time with the Salisbury, North Carolina Symphony. He rides motorcycles. He plays guitars. He writes songs. He does television. He performs with the symphony. We're glad that Kyle Petty is all ours. Another Renaissance man, though of a different generation, but also from the NASCAR and NBC team, is Parker Kligerman. I had the great pleasure recently of spending an entire weekend sitting beside Parker in the Richmond Air National Raceway Media Center, and it was an absolute blast, aside from laughing my head off at various irreverent and inside jokes we shared, but that I'm not going to share here. I also had the special perspective on the Xfinity and Cup Series races at Richmond from Parker because he has a unique way of looking at racing. Namely, he understands it because he's done it, unlike me. And so it's always cool to sit beside him and pick his brain about the nuances of a race. And that's why you should listen to Parker and Carolyn Mano as they break down the previous weekend in NASCAR every Monday on Monday Morning Donuts, cleverly titled, I know. Lots of good stuff from Parker and Carolyn. The producer of the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP is Tess Quinlan, and it's good to have her back this week after a much-deserved vacation. We will be back with another episode next week, and our guest, I don't like to jinx these things, but our guest should be Jason Wygant, who will provide a preview of the upcoming outdoor motocross season and also we'll tell you about some neat gizmos and widgets that NBC Sports is making available for the outdoor motocross season in 2017. You'll want to hear about that. Also, we will talk some Monster Energy sponsorship with his raft of experience in Supercross and Motocross. Jason has a lot of insight into NASCAR's Cup title sponsor. He was very well received when we had him on uh, toward the end of last season, right after the sponsorship with Monster was announced. So we are looking forward to having Jason back to assess how things have gone in year one of the NASCAR Monster Energy marriage. We also have a good up, uh, upcoming episode with Jeff Burton on the genesis of stage racing. There will be some good behind-the-scenes stuff that I really enjoyed hearing Jeff talk about. We just taped that this week, so stay tuned. That will be coming out soon. If you listen to the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a glowing rating and review. Yes, another shameless plug. And a reminder, you can also find us on Spotify, Audio Boom, Google Play, Stitcher, as well as NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. That's also where you will find daily information about NASCAR America on NBCSN, such as the starting time, guests, and topics. The week this episode comes out, the program is dark, but it will return Memorial Day week. Of course, a lot to dig into with F1 and IndyCar and, of course, the NASCAR Coca-Cola 600. All of those coming 
next weekend for Memorial Day weekend, biggest weekend of the year in racing. You also can stream the show or find replays and video clips at NBCSports.com slash live. If you've got ideas for the NASCAR NBC podcast, please send them to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm Steve Letart, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.